You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, April 29th, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington. Very excited today to be joined by our founder and CEO, Rao Pal. But first, a look at U.S. equity markets. Folks, frankly, it's been a bit of a bloodbath out there. NASDAQ off over 4% on the day. Settling down here looks like 12000 334 on the Nasdaq. S&P 500 also off more than 3.5%, down to minus 3.63%, closing out the day at 4,131. Dow Jones Industrial Average off 2.75% or 2.77%, I should say. Numbers still bouncing around here a little bit at the close. The VIX rising 33 spot 70. Ral, not a pleasant day in U.S. equity markets. No, and I, you know, I've sent out a few warnings. I did the warning on Real Vision about this as well on the daily briefing last week, saying, "Listen, this is an ugly market." What I think is going on here is there are two factors for the market to digest. One is inflation, and that created the market to set up in certain ways. You know, everyone's crowded into certain themes. Then growth starts evaporating. You can see it all over the place, stuff like consumer discretionary stocks. You can see it in the forward-looking indicators. And so the market has to deal with inflation plus growth. And what that's basically mean is everyone's hit the liquidate button. So everything's getting liquidated. This is the correlation of one-style markets that I was warning about. Um, and it hits everything from crypto to you know pretty much everything. And the thing that stands above all ends up being the dollar, because that is the kind of safe haven. Dollar today's had a slightly different day. You know, we've corrected some of the move, but we've seen some huge moves in the dollar, and I'm not sure it's entirely done yet. So there is a massive liquidation going on as people struggle with their portfolios, because basically, whatever position you've got, it's wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the pain everyone's going to have to take for a while. Yeah, Dixie at 103, uh, spot one right now uh, as we have this conversation. Rao, you've been thinking, writing, and talking about this for a long time. We've all been thinking about this at Real Vision. Uh, it ties into where we are actually uh, going next week. Global recession, everyone is wrong, precisely to your point about how everything feels wrong right now. That's the title of the series we have coming up next week. Big picture, 50,000-foot level. You started to touch on inflation and growth. Where are we right now? So I think we're at an inflection point, and a lot of people don't agree with me. So I wanted to go, that's why I did the campaign. It's like, listen, this is a really complicated macro environment, but it's very macro, right? We need to know and understand from the best people in the world what the hell is going on, because my voice is just my voice. My personal view is that we are doing the transition from inflation to growth. The next shoe to drop will be the inflation shoe. I think inflation and growth go lower. And we either get we either head into recession. Europe looks like it's already in recession. China has been in, essentially in recession for a while now, but maybe coming out the other side early stage. Um, and the US forward-looking indicators suggest, look, it's not clear it's a recession. 
but it's clear that the ISM is certainly headed to 50 or maybe just below, which is the ISM, the um, Institute of Supply Management Survey, anything below 50 suggests that growth has stalled. Anything below 47 usually gives a recession. So we're getting in the phase where we're going to have a very slow patch. And there is no sign yet that that's turning around. So it could accelerate lower. So the recession is potentially on the cards. It's certainly on the cards in Europe. And we need to figure out what does this even mean? What does it mean? And I think the big thing it means is bond yields are coming lower because the inflation narrative, I think, is about to change. In the content, uh, week two of the content campaign, we have uh, interviewed, I mean, I'm so lucky to be in the position I'm in, to be able to sit down with, ask Pierre Andran, the world's best oil trader, what's going on in the oil markets? And Dwight Anderson, probably the world's most famous commodity trader, what's going on in the commodity markets? And you know, their view is these kind of prices will lead to demand destruction. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing commodities crowding out growth. Um, and I'm also keeping an eye on crude oil to see how it trades. A lot of people have very bullish forecasts, but I'm worried that the demand situation is not quite as good. And if crude oil does break this pattern to the downside, and it's far to be proven yet, then the inflation narrative would disappear very quickly because inflation expectations are basically driven by the oil price, bizarrely, um, as if that's not the only thing that drives inflation, but that's what drives inflation expectations. That would change the narrative a lot and drive the panic into bonds. So if you've got a falling equity market, falling growth, falling inflation, well, that drives everybody into the dollar and bonds. And, you know, as people know, I love the dollar and bonds generally as a trade. You know, that's the most macro trade of all. Yeah. WTI has retreated about 1% on a price basis here on the day, trading now at 104 spot 28. Uh, Brent actually up uh, a little over 1.5% on the day. Uh, Closing out looks like 109 spot 40 on Brent, the global price for oil. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's, Oil either needs to break above 110, which it tried to do, and maybe even a bit higher than that. Or if it breaks below 95, then I think it accelerates lower. So we're in a tight range. It's kind of, you know, tender hooks, which way it goes. If oil breaks higher, it's only going to increase the demand destruction and the squeeze on corporate balance sheets and the squeeze on households. So it's not a good setup here either way. We've either done the damage already or we're going to do some more damage. So it's you know these are very important markets and you know this is a very macro environment and you know it's very very important to understand what it is. Yeah. Now if I'm right and that the inflation story is going to change and growth is going to go slower then we start shifting into a dynamic where we question what the central banks are going to be doing and if bond yields are going to come lower stuff that's been really beaten up like the further end of the growthy stocks you know, they should be more interesting in that environment because they got killed by inflation. I think gold does pretty well. It's, you know, interesting enough, gold and growth stocks tend to do badly as real rates start tightening, but they got to zero and it looks like the world's falling apart just as the central bank are trying to undertake quantitative tightening or at least no QE. And if that's the case, then real rates are going negative again, if I'm right. And that's usually good for gold, crypto, long end of growth, that kind of stuff, and bad for everything that people have been in, like commodity stocks. Yeah. 
Well, one of the helpful things that you do is to look and think across multiple time horizons at the same time. I'm looking right now at U.S. equity prices across different time horizons. We're now off more than 20% on NASDAQ Composite and NASDAQ 100 year to date. Uh, we've got off, we're off 15% on the day, almost 14.5, uh, looks like on Amazon uh, today. And uh, ARC now off more than 50% year to date. That's right. And you know, ARC, the story's well told, is um, to do with that long end of the growth market. Um, that gets killed in an inflationary environment. And you know, you can argue whether Kathy, who I had coffee with yesterday, actually, whether she's got the right stocks in her portfolio or not, fine. But then the Scottish Mortgage Trust that have an excellent track record at doing this as well, the long end of growth, um, they're down. Let's have a look where Scottish Mortgage Trust is down this year. I mean, they're down 30, 32%. So you can see there's a lot of damage in that. Amazon is a really interesting story. People aren't paying attention. Mm. Amazon, the world's largest retailer, is saying they're overstaffed. They said it in their statement, they're overstaffed. And the year-on-year comparisons versus a strong year last year because of COVID is going to make them look bad. But the overstaffing element makes me think that there's layoffs to come. And there's, I think there's broader layoffs to come because of this fall in consumption. Because if you think about it, last year, particularly in these kind of stocks, there was an enormous amount of staffing to deal with the excess demand. Well, that excess demand is now gone. And therefore, you're likely to see they're going to have to trim some of the staff. So, you know, this is not a good setup. But in terms of equity markets, the average recession, and this doesn't feel like it's a financial crisis in the brewing. It feels like I've been talking about for a while that the business cycle is going to get shorter and slightly more violent as opposed to the long moderation period we've gone through since 87 or so. So if that's the case, then it could be a shorter, sharper clearing event. And the average kind of recession in that sees the equity market down between 20 and 30%. So I think we're getting closer to the bottom than the top. But who knows? You know, only time will tell. Maybe things develop that get uglier. Yeah. You know, one of the other interesting things that I know you look at in more detail than most uh, is the real economy, the business cycle, some of the measures and metrics that you look at to determine things like shipping, uh, pricing data. What are you seeing there in terms of the real economy? The real economy seems to have slowed really fast. So, you know, because what's happened is everybody built inventories because of supply backlogs, right? The right thing to do. Supply backlogs clear. Demand falls because of high commodity prices and inflation. Everyone's stuck with a whole bunch of inventories that need to be liquidated. Yeah. That's not good. And we're seeing uh, the supply backlogs clear because, you know, the port of Long Beach in the U.S. much clearer now. We're seeing the same with... Um, um, freight traffic has gone negative year on year, suggesting that the economy may slow significantly forward. So that those kind of indicators, restaurants been weak. The consumer has offset some of this by credit. So we've seen them drawing down their savings. So the savings ratio has been collapsing. But consumer credit has held up. And that's what traditionally happens in the US. They balance off savings and credit. But if people start losing jobs, then all bets are off. Again, I don't think there's anything really severe on the horizon. But let's keep an eye on it. Europe, different story here. You know, Europe's between a rock and a hard place because of the reliance on Russian 
um, commodities, particularly on gas, and Europe's in the transition to ESG, that transition is going to take the best part of a decade before it really starts taking marginal demand away from, from fossil fuels. And they're steadfastly wanting to adhere to that. And I think it's the right thing to do, but they're going to have to take pain in the middle. And the pain is the economy. And what's happening is the outlet valve for that right now is the euro, which has been going down fast. Um, you know, we've seen the outlet valve in Japan being the yen going down fast. And we start to see the outlet valve in China being the RMB going down. Now, that's actually good. The rising dollar is bad in the short term because it creates funding problems um, and it can slow growth significantly. But if these economies see cheaper currencies over time, it's going to create a larger deflationary wave because they're all exporting nations. So there's kind of the bad of the strong dollar and the good of the strong dollar all at play, but that's a phased thing. First, the dollar up fast is a bad thing. Then a weak set of global currencies helps them get traction and recover. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Rob, we've talked about a lot of data points here, but I want to point this out because it's a pretty striking coincidence. Here we are on a Friday afternoon, markets, uh, NASDAQ specifically losing over 4%. And on Monday, we start this global recession watch series. What was it that clued you in to know? I mean, these series take weeks and months to plan. How did you see this narrative starting to build? I could see it in the economic data. I could see it in the positioning in the markets. I could see it in how things were trading, things like consumer second, um, uh, consumer discretionary versus consumer cyclicals, that kind of stuff. I could see it written large that we're going to get a slowdown. Um, and so that's why I thought, okay, this is starting to get concerning. Now, I've been looking at this narrative developing for nine months. Economies take a long time. There's only nine data points, you know, monthly economic data. But I've seen it writ large for a long time. I've been writing about it in Macro Insiders for a long time. Now, I didn't, I could have taken the commodity trade, but my time horizon and my secular framework means that I tend to err on the side of the disinflationary. So I'll, I would rather take the setup and wait for this bigger setup, uh, which I think is coming. So, yeah, I mean, it so happened that the timing got spot on, but, you know, I use a whole group of things from secular trends, business cycle to technical analysis and flow of funds. Yeah. And this is another interesting point to get back to this multiple time horizon, being bullish on commodities in the short term as we come into this tightening supply chain cycle, all these challenges happening with the reopening. And yet, still, obviously, you're very passionate about growth, innovation, uh, and the exponential age. That's right. You don't stop technology with a recession. What you do is you might stop consumer behavior. You might stop marginal dollars flowing in into developing new projects. Yeah. But the technology, technological adoption of whether it's robotics or AI or um, space or crypto or any of these genetics, that's not going away. Yeah. So even if they trade sideways, they become cheap over time because the network adoption keeps growing. 
Now, sure, recessions can slow these things somewhat. Um, but yes, yeah, so and, and the stock can get whacked in the interim, of course, as we yes, see. Yes, and today. you need to lo use logarithmic charts and understand that these are volatile things. So use logarithmic charts, and I like the regression channels that I use. And you look for things like monthly log charts where they get two standard deviations oversold. Things start to become interesting. Now, for anybody interested, I kick off the entire um, global recession campaign with an hour and a half piece where I basically mind dump everything and there's about 50 charts the production the production team hate me because i gave them so many charts but i wanted to get across in my head everything that's here because you know you can double click on any point i'm making i've been writing about all of these things whether it's for decades years months or weeks that there's all a, that there's a big depth to it all and i couldn't even cover i could have spoken for 3 hours but i got bored of looking at myself on screen talking to myself because i did it all in one piece to camera as in my classic fashion yeah by the way i cheated a little bit sneaked into our media server and uh, got a sneak peek of it the charts are fantastic oh good yeah but there's a lot there which explains a lot of why i've got this thing these are not just based on well i kind of feel that so you know as i said that the the next shoe to drop for me is let's see what oil does um, and then I'm starting to get very close to my DMARC indicator counts on bonds. So next week would be the weekly nines and 13s all in place. But usually at the top of the chart of truth, the big 40-year trend channel where we've just broken out, I think it fails. Um, and normally we get the monthly DMARC. That wouldn't be till June. So I'm thinking much like 2018, we kind of get this peak inflation fears. It starts dropping off. It kind of corrects a bit. And then maybe later in the year, the back end of the year, yields really start to fall as kind of people realize that both inflation and growth are disappearing. Yeah. So, Ralph, from the ridiculous to the sublime, you're talking about bond markets, flipping the script, going to the opposite side of the spectrum. You mentioned having coffee with Kathy Wood. I'm guessing that was probably at Salt Bahamas. Yes, I was. A, it was an amazing event, uh, the FTX Salt event. I mean, Everybody in crypto was there. I mean, literally everybody. I couldn't walk 10 feet without bumping into you know, all of the kind of favorites who've been on Real Vision. Uh, amazing. Nobody really talks about price. Everybody is in the build phase. It's really interesting. So crypto goes through two phases. One is price, when everyone talks nothing but price. And then when the price or the network kind of is less interesting, people focus on building. Now, Crypto companies raised 32 billion in VC last year. So everybody there is seeing what's happening in tech and everything else, and they're immune to it. Now, the crypto token prices might go down, but they're immune to it in terms of their businesses. So what they're allowed to do, they've timed it perfectly in the capital that they raised, is they're able to now, they've all got the capital they need to build the next phase of the crypto revolution. And they're all working hard. I met everybody from people building out derivative marketplaces to NFT stuff through to, you know, the people at Solana building out all of the future of Solana network. All of them are there. All of the building stuff. People like FTX, you know, awash with cash, building out the future of the entire integration with TradFi and DeFi. So fascinating. And people are breathlessly exciting. I mean, I spent I mean, it was literally like speed dating every half an hour, another meeting, another meeting, another meeting, another meeting, yeah. because people are so busy and you know everyone's trying to partner with each other to do so many things. So it, it, very exciting. 
no hubris about it either. There was no kind of, you know, well, there was a bit of champagne and yachts, but not really. That was just Novogratz. Um, but, um, <laughs> but generally, you know, generally speaking, no hubris, just heads down. How are you? Busy. What can we do together? It's great. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still recuperating from uh, Bitcoin Miami, and that was the same experience we had there. Yeah, they can drink as well, this crowd. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's because they're all younger than me. <laughs> they're not an early group. Not big on no. breakfasts. No, they're not big on breakfast. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I left the bar on Wednesday night at like 1.30 in the morning. I think Novo had just turned up at 2 uh, <laughs> with a whole kind of galaxy entourage. I'm like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, hey, Ralph, questions are coming in fast and thick. Any other points you want to touch on before we go to our viewer questions? Uh, no, the key point is... Transition phases mean maximum uncertainty. What do markets hate? Uncertainty. Um, so, you know, I think it just continues downside for a while. I don't think this is an end of the world event here. Um, I think it's um, it's a recalibration. And I've started to buy, you know, growth names. I'm starting to get very close to pulling the trigger in bonds as I think the narrative will change. Yeah. First question uh, comes to us from Ralph Humphrey. This is from the Real Vision site. Uh, and the question is, are you bullish on any countries in particular, Ralph? Yeah, and the country I'm most bullish on is India. Mm. Um, the only problem is, is India is a big importer of commodities. But overall, with a very young demographic, fast-growing economy, a, a um, financial system that's being retooled, a digital economy that's being built, and being driven forward by Mukesh Ambani, who's like a visionary, who's building network effects upon network effects. You know, I think India is a very exciting place. We're seeing a lot of innovation, a lot of VC money flowing in, a lot of FDI going into India. So that's probably the country I'm most bullish on. The biggest outlier I'm bullish on is Iran. I think you know, the world will do a deal with Iran at some point. Iran is probably trading at four, um, P of four, the cheapest market in the world right now after Russia. Um, now, so Russia's being excluded, Iran's being potentially included. You know, I've been bullish on Iran for a period of time, and I've invested there on and off. You know, when there weren't sanctions, Europeans have been able to invest. Um, so that's an outlier. We had um, um, Brent Johnson interviewing somebody on Iran recently on on Real Vision. It's a super fascinating um, equation. Other than that, not super bullish. Keeping an eye on China. Everyone hates China. China has been going through a recession. Foreigners have been out. Stimulus is coming. We're starting to see you know, the Shanghai real estate index is up 11% this year, while the, most of the market is down 16%. There's at the margin, things are getting um, improving in China. So uh, worth keeping an eye on for those people who trade China. There's a bunch of people who, who don't trade China at all. Yeah. India, for example, sounds like a long-term secular trend, not a short-term trade. Correct. Absolutely right. And so you know, any big sell-off, you buy India essentially, is the, is the thematic. You know, anything over 20% uh, sell-off, you, you buy Indian equities. They barely give you a chance to get in. It sells off fast and goes straight up. Why is that? Massive demographic, all investing for pensions. So you've got domestic demand and foreign demand. So it's an ongoing situation, much like the US was in the 80s and 90s. It just, you know, because of driven by the demographic of an average age of 28 or whatever India is, 27, 28, you know, everyone starts saving for their future and that starts piling into the market. So that's not going to stop for decades. 
We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, here's a question that comes to us from Hef from the Real Vision site. What's Rao's view on housing given his current outlook? Great question, one that lots of people are thinking about right now. I know people ask me this. I don't know. I mean, it probably weakens because mortgage rates have gone up so much. But, you know, I, there's no housing crash to be had as of all of this, I don't think. But house prices, the rate of change of house prices will probably slow down. Do some markets see negative house price rises? Possibly. Um, do we see a broader, scarier situation for house prices? I don't see that. Uh, here's one that comes to us from YouTube from Sean. Uh, and Sean wants to know, please comment on precious metals. What could be the trigger for an upside move in metals? Uh, uh, real interest rates going more negative again. So the trend in real interest rates rolling out. Well, talk about this because this is such an important point and few people really understand it. So real interest rates are essentially the difference between the interest rate and the inflation expectation. So um, when you look at that, 10-year bonds are currently at whatever they are, 2.9%. Um, um, That's roughly in line with where 10-year inflation expectations are. So i.e. real yields are zero. Now, real in a structural economy where we've got an aging population, massive debt, all of this stuff, you tend to see real yields negative for extended periods of time. Europe has been that way for a long time, as has Japan. So what it's telling you is as real yields have got to zero, we've kind of choked off the economy. In a more functioning economy like India, real yields can be positive, i.e. yields more than compensate for inflation. But in these kind of aging, mature, indebted populations, it tends to be the opposite way around. So what you need for gold, gold wants to see an environment where money is being debased and therefore real yields, financial repression is underway. Financial repression is a way of saying that uh, your savings are being reduced by inflation every year. So therefore, you want to buy gold. So that's gold, crypto, technology stocks tend to do very well in that environment. So gold had was supposed to be the inflation play. We've had inflation, gold's gone nowhere. Gold has been much better when the central banks are, uh, are debasing the value of the fiat currency denominator, which tends to be a period of uh, negative real rates. So I think that that is the key element here. Yeah. Next one from G Money from YouTube. It's Weston Nakamura's favorite question, Rao. What impact is Japan continuing to have on us? He may jump into the call. Um, I look when the world's largest savings nation has a currency crisis. Yes, it can lead to lead to money leaving. Obviously, the BOJ is forcing people to essentially buy foreign yields. Um, but it also means that the purchasing power of Japanese savings pools is less. So I think it just further adds to volatility in markets. Um, it does cap rates because money flows abroad 
to try and protect themselves by holding dollars. So it's a it's a kind of Dollar yen always has a way of destabilizing things. It's a very, very important market. It's gone nowhere for years. So, you know, Western is right to focus on it. Yeah, I should say we're now down below uh, 130, 129 spot 87 on USDJPY dollar yen. We hit above 131 yesterday, uh, a decades, uh, decades long low for the Japanese yen. Yeah, and very fast too. You know, yeah. currency markets are okay to trend. They're just not okay if they trend fast like this. They tend to break things. And both the euro and the yen are trending really fast. So these are the two other largest currencies on earth. Um, So, you know, we need to keep our eye on it. Oh, this is a great question from John Sondheim from Real Vision's The Exchange. This is our internal social media network uh, here at Real Vision. And the question is, since the dollar index does not capture emerging market currencies, what else would you look at to know if the dollar is ending a broad-based Upward run. Great questions, John Sondheim. Well, there is the Fed broad trade weighted dollar index. So that's good. Or there is the JP Morgan Emerging Market FX index. Now, emerging markets have been bifurcated, my favorite word, because a bunch of them are commodity producers. So they've been protected. And a bunch of them are commodity importers and they've seen their currencies weaken. But again, right, right. be careful of this strong dollar. And be careful if the commodity markets start weakening, because then they all go down. Generally speaking, strong dollar is bad for emerging markets because it sucks global liquidity out. Um, and the world is a net uh, debtor nation, a net debtor in dollars. So once you take dollar liquidity away, the weakest shoes drop. Um, and so that tends to be emerging markets. Yeah. Yeah. Another very sophisticated question from the exchange. This one comes to us from Angela W. Uh, And the question is, the U.S. debt running at $30 trillion uh, and the government running $2 trillion structural deficits, who funds Treasury issuance if the Fed is doing QT, quantitative tightening? Usually, when quantitative tightening happens, yields fall because the banks tend to buy it, the insurance companies and the pension system. Now, don't forget, the pension system is probably pretty underweight bonds right now. If growth comes, there's, there's plenty of demand from the internal domestic system. So foreigners are less big players right now. The Japanese might become larger players because of the issue we talked about. Maybe Europeans, too, because their currencies are moving. Um, but I think the domestic market is where all the demand lies. Yeah. Uh, here's a question that comes to us from Napa. We've gotten a couple of these questions about cryptocurrency. And the question is, Route, where is crypto going? Do you expect a capitulation event? Well, I, the capitulation event to me was March 2020. Uh, March um, 2021. That's when we formed the low. Now, looks like crypto, as I said, is going to get hit further, and it's going to come a bit lower down. Um, and I think it's still within the broad range that we've been in since March. And I think that's okay because it looks like the networks are pretty stable. I network growth is stable. They're not falling. They're not growing. Um, it, it is what it is. That narrative turns around if, if the inflation narrative and growth narrative turns around. If not, they're just weak within this big sloppy range. And I don't see anything to change that yet. Like no instant event. There's plenty of events on the horizon that can change that. 
There's a, at the margin, the Bitcoin physical ETF, if and when that comes, ETH 2.0 merge, if and when that comes. There's, you know, there's a bunch of things. There's interest rates falling, if and when that comes. All of these kind of things will start changing narratives within crypto. Meanwhile, crypto is basically just a churning of the same capital within the crypto ecosystem. So capital that was going to leave is left. Um, so it's a churning of capital, which is where NFTs have been a place where people have made money because that's within the ETH economy. It's a separate economy. It's outside of the US dollar economy. Right. People just people tend to go into the ETH system and don't leave. Um, and so they tend to look at NFTs or DeFi and other stuff and rotate around. And that's what's happening now. Just to double click uh, on your points about Bitcoin price action right now, trading at 38,527. That's coin market cap data. Uh, significantly off, obviously, the 52 week high of a skosh below 69,000, uh, so down over 40%, but also up from the 52 week low, uh, about 30% of 29,800. Year to date, we're off about 15%. Yeah, and the bottom end of the range is the 30,000 level. You know, there's plenty of institutional buyers around, there's plenty of people setting up, as I say to people, it all takes time. Um, and people are coming slowly into the market, but this macro backdrop's not helping. So you just kind of have to tough it out. I mean, that's what this thing is all about, right? Crypto is all about that. Bitcoin itself, you know, using the logarithmic, monthly logarithmic chart, I think it's pretty close to two standard deviations oversold now. I'm just doing the chart. Unfortunately, I can't show it on my screen, but I'm just going to have a look. Um, so the two standard deviations oversold tends to be where this stops. Um, at maximum, uh, one standard deviation. This is where we got to in March 2020. Is roughly where we are now. So March 2020 got to here. Um, the sell-off after, yeah. In fact, it's never really been. Um, it never really goes down much further than this versus its logarithmic trend. So we're kind of in that zone, but that's what we're kind of saying anyway. Which is, you know, what thirty thousand at worst, twenty thousand would be. You know, the the final bloodbath level. Who knows? But you know, again, the idea of this space—if you're looking at network adoptions—I don't trade the space. I never have. I just look at it and say, I want to own the long-term trend. The long-term trend of adoption is going higher. I see no reason to change that narrative whatsoever. So you just keep dollar-cost averaging. Ralph, it's super fun to be on a show where you calculate standard deviation trading bands in real time. <laughs> I think you can do it on TradingView as well. I've never figured out how to, how to do it because I'm not very good at trading view. But my Bloomberg, it's easy. Yeah. Uh, Raul, in all the many years I've been here at Real Vision, few times where there have been as many moving parts happening at the same time as there are at this moment. Final thoughts, key takeaways. How do we bring this all together? Anybody who thinks they know the outcomes is lying. <laughs> We're all trying our best to figure it out because there is a lot of moving variables. Now, you know, am I generally in the right direction or generally in the wrong direction? You know, this is these are these are the two schools of thought that are out there, um, and you know that's why I'm really looking forward to the next two weeks because I've sat down with some unbelievable people and asked friends of mine to go and sit down with some other amazing people. So we're going to get as many views as we can to try and piece this all together. And after two weeks, I don't think there'll be one answer, but I think people have a better view of what's really going on. Ralph, these Friday shows are always my favorite. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's always good to see you, Ash. The dream team back together. Back together again. And thank you for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Before we close out the week, I want to tell you about an important series we're doing here at Real Vision starting on May 2nd. That's next Monday. We're going on a two-week journey of discovery. 
in global recession is everyone wrong? Rao has handpicked a group of the world's greatest financial minds to bring you in-depth coverage of what's really happening. We've got Peter Zion, David Rosenberg, Pierre Andorand, and much more. If you're already a member, your access is already free. But if you're not, and you want to come along on this journey, you can join us now and get the whole series for $1 for 14 days of Real Vision to watch this journey unfold. Go to realvision.com forward slash global recession to find out more. That's realvision.com global recession. Hope to see you soon. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.